You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. It is so good to be gathered here together, here in the sanctuary online or joining us throughout the week. We are so glad that each and every one of you is here. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers here at First Universalist Church, and it's really good to be back. I have been gone a lot of the month of February. Many of you know that my father is living with an aggressive form of cancer, and he was in and out of the hospital in February. And just last week, I was glad to be with him as he returned home to his apartment. And part of this process for him is he is learning to walk with a walker now and learning how to find and keep his balance uh, now that he's a little bit weaker than he was before. So while I was at his apartment, the physical therapist came and was teaching him a few things about how to move now. And she pointed out that he is kind of always making these small adjustments in order to stay vertical and to stay upright. That he's shifting his weight, that he's moving his hands or moving his feet differently so that he can stay up. And she said to him, you know, you probably notice it when you feel yourself falling and you make a big correction But when it's one of those tiny adjustments that you're always making, you might not notice, but your body is working really hard to be able to learn how to do this again. And it had me thinking about the spiritual life 
because you have heard me say before, I'm sure that the spiritual life is about alignment. It is about aligning our thinking, our words, and our actions with our deepest values. And this is a lifelong process. Sometimes the corrections and the adjustments are big ones, and we know it, and sometimes they are smaller. They are a commitment to tell the truth in a small moment. They are a way of sharing our resources when we are tempted to hold them close to ourselves only. Maybe it's some other small way of extending our care beyond our immediate circle. We make adjustments all the time, big and small, so that we can live more in alignment with our values. And that is why we come to church. It's certainly part of why I come to church, like I said, whether it's in person or online or listening on the podcast. I come here to be reminded of the things that matter most to me and to be in a community of people that is constantly striving to make those adjustments to live in alignment with their values. So you might ask, what exactly are those values here at First Universalist Church? Well, I'll tell you, for over 150 years now, we have proclaimed the transformative power of love and hope. These are the center of our faith. We create community here where everyone can belong. We do this in some very specific ways. We invite each other into the rhythm and practice of giving and receiving and growing together. We practice the universalist spirit of love and hope by listening deeply to where love is calling us next, by welcoming, affirming, and protecting the light in each and every human heart, and by acting with compassion and courage and humility in service to justice. We do all of this with a deep commitment to ending oppression in all of its forms and building beloved community of love and liberation and belonging for all of us. That's what we're about here at First Universalist. That is the life we invite you into. So we take good care of each other, always adjusting to align ourselves with our deepest values. This is who we are. I also want to highlight for those of you who might have kids or be educators in the Twin Cities that we will be offering something called Strike Camp this week, if necessary. So starting on Tuesday, going as long as need Friday, all right. <laughs> we will have a place for kids who are kindergartner through sixth grade. If you are needing some childcare or extra support and want the church to be part of that for your family, if the Twin Cities educators do in fact strike and our negotiation hasn't been successful, there is strike camp available here for your kids. If you are an educator or somebody who is out on strike, you are welcome to volunteer time at strike camp or not and receive a monetary gift from the congregation to help support you in this time when you may not be getting paid. So please know we are here to support you and your families, whether you're educators or kids, uh, we are here for you. So just let us know what you need so we can support each other. So after all those announcements and important information, let's prepare ourselves for this time of connection and care. Here in this place, wherever that is, we remember that we are on land that is not our own. That in fact, people and land and beings are not possessions to be owned. That the earth and its people, past, present, and future, carry stories, hold histories of hope and resilience, trauma and pain. And we commit ourselves to learning all of the stories, to holding it all, trusting in the power of love that we can and will do what is ours to do 
to repair this web of life we live within. We start by settling our bodies and ourselves. So I do this, I'm planting my feet firmly on the floor, trying to let my body feel a little heavier to notice its weight. And then I invite you, if you like, into three intentional breaths. Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, and one more, breath in, breath out. And from this place, we share in our chalice lighting words with Will and Alice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to speak the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning. This is a story about understanding who you are and the potential that lies within you. It's about being willing to let go of who you think you are so that you can become who you were meant to be. Here is the story. Once upon a time, in a land not so far away, there was a kingdom of acorns nestled at the foot of a grand old oak tree. Can you imagine that grand old oak? It was as wide as this chancel, and its branches reached up as high as the top of the ceiling of our sanctuary. It was so big. Can you see it, little acorns? Oh, yeah. Since the citizens of this kingdom were modern, fully westernized acorns, they went about their life with a purposeful energy. And since they were responsible, enlightened citizens, they engaged in a lot of self-help courses and signed up to take a lot of classes. They were determined to learn a lot, heal their past, take good care of their little acorn bodies and grow stronger every day so they could be their very best selves. There were seminars called Getting All You Can Out of Your Shell and Who Would You Be Without Your Nutty Story? There were groups for acorns who had been bruised on their fall from the tree. There were spas for oiling and polishing those shells and various acornopathic therapies to enhance longevity and well-being. One day, in the middle of this kingdom, there suddenly appeared a naughty little stranger, apparently dropped out of the sky by a passing bird. His cap was askew and barely attached, making an immediate negative impression on his fellow acorns. And to make things worse, crouched beneath the mighty oak, he stammered out a wild tale, pointing up to the tree. He said, We 
are that. We are that. Um, delusional thinking, obviously, the other acorns <laughs> concluded. And they set out to prove it. So tell us, how do we become that tree? Well, he said, it has something to do with going down in, into the ground, down into the ground, and cracking open the shell. Are you serious? <laughs> Dude, that's really morbid. <laughs> but if that were true, we wouldn't even be acorns. The acorns just couldn't believe that they were an oak tree. Despite all the courses they attended and books they read, and a stranger telling them who they were at their core, they couldn't envision themselves being anything very different from what they already were. They thought being an acorn was the end of the story. Let's not disappoint this stranger. Let's not be like those acorns, so sure that we know the limits of who we can be. Let us learn from the stranger's message and understand that our potential is so big, it's hard to imagine. Let us be willing to crack open the shell and get to the core so we can emerge and say, We are that. Yeah. <laughs>
Dear ones, I invite you to come into a a place, uh, a posture of prayer and meditation. And we can, we can take our time moving into this place. I know sometimes it can feel like prayer and meditation is quiet. We're not supposed to be moving. And that can be a, a difficult place to access when we have been singing and clapping and if you were like me, bouncing around the chancel. But you know, prayer and meditation is not so much about being still. It's not so much about being quiet, as much as it is about noticing what you notice. So let's bring our attention here. Let's notice what we notice. It can be helpful when we're noticing what we notice to find your breath wherever it is that you are noticing it this morning. It might be at the tips of your nostrils. It might be in the lower parts of your lungs or in your stomach. You might notice your breath in your toes. Wherever you notice it, let's breathe in and out. In and out. Breathing in and out this good shared breath this breath that brings us into a bigger togetherness. This breath that makes us one. Our theme this month, a bigger togetherness, asks us to stretch a bit. It asks that we remember and live into what we might intellectually know. It asks us to live into knowing that our lives are deeply entwined, that our lives are reliant on so many others around us, seen and unseen, whose daily lives make ours possible. And equally, this bigger togetherness invites us to stretch and bring into that same awareness those who rely on our daily efforts for their own health and well-being. Thich Nhat Hanh, our beloved teacher, who died not long ago. Thich Nhat Hanh taught a meditation on this, inviting us to consider a piece of paper and to perceive in it all that made it possible. 
And we can do this now together if you'd like. Imagine a piece of paper. Hold one in your hands if that helps. Feel its weight. Feel its texture. And perceive in it that it is a piece of paper. And then we sink more deeply into the paper. We perceive perhaps the store where it was purchased, the people who operated the cash register, the people who stocked the shelf. the person who delivered the paper to the store, the factory that made this paper. The water, the paper pulp, the trees that made the pulp, the birds and the bugs that called that tree home. The rain, the soil, the sunlight that helped to give that tree life. The clouds that made the rain. The sky that held the clouds. All of that, all of this, in this one piece of paper. All those things in their bigger togetherness formed this piece of paper. And in this piece of paper, this prayer, And this prayer, like this congregation, has room for everything. All that we need is here. This prayer might, right now, be speaking to you the words you need to hear to know yourself, beloved. If those are the words that your heart needs to hear this morning, receive them. This prayer might right now be speaking to you the words you need to hear to know yourself worthy of healing, worthy of love and care, worthy of being held in your full human dignity. If these are the words that your heart needs to hear this morning, receive them. This prayer might, right now, be speaking to you the words you need to hear to say yes to your recovery, to 
to say yes to therapy, to let go a relationship that has come to its end, to say yes to the person at your side even if they're not physically present, and the yes is a cry of grief and pain at their absence. If these are the words that your heart needs to hear this morning, receive them. Dear ones, in this bigger togetherness, we are not alone. Not in any of this, and certainly not in this church. As we hold and care the many ways that we are this day, I invite you to speak aloud, to hold in the sanctuary of your heart, to share in the chat all those who you would like held in the care of this congregation today, knowing that the name you speak may even be your own. And to the names that you are sharing. I add that we hold in our hearts this morning those in Ukraine and their continued resistance to Russian invasion. We hold all those who find themselves under occupation by imperialism. And our hearts this morning are with the teachers and the staff and the students in Minneapolis and St. Paul schools as the time for striking draws near. We pray that solutions be found. We pray that agreements be reached. We pray that our teachers, our school staff, our students, that all, all people have work, have places to learn and grow where they are safe where their dignity is respected, where they are supported. As we hold all these things named and unnamed, as we rest in this bigger togetherness, we pray that the grip of addiction be loosened, that the weight of oppression be lightened, that joy break through, that truth be told, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. Amen. Stirrings of compassion.
It is a week of anniversaries here in some ways. You heard me say a little bit about that with Lauren's 10-year anniversary with us, but it's another anniversary as well. And I tell you, sometimes for me, I know those anniversaries first in my body before I can consciously become aware of what is going on. And this past week, I just found myself knowing that there, there was something. And I started looking back, and I was like, oh, right. March 8th, 2020, was our last kind of regular service here in the sanctuary. March 8th. We're just about two years to that date, just about two years to that time when COVID-19 upended all of our lives, when so much loss and grief and unpredictability suddenly was thrust upon us in new ways. We're edging right up to that anniversary. So in taking a look back, I looked at what happened that Sunday March 8th, 2020. If we remember, for those of us who were here, right, Reverend Justin was on sabbatical in New Zealand. I was just back from being away after a routine surgery. It was my first Sunday back, and I was eager to share with you all what I had been learning as I had been trying to learn how to rest. And I was really leaning on the wisdom of Tricia Hersey, the self-proclaimed nap bishop, who teaches that rest is resistance, that we are more than our productivity, that when we rest, when we take back the rest that has been denied to us, especially to people of color, then we can create the space that is necessary to dream. We can only dream if there's space to rest. Our imaginations need that room to flourish for us to be creative, for new worlds to become possible in our minds and hearts and spirits, and then in real life. So I have been thinking about Trisha Hersey. I have been thinking about rest as resistance, about the importance of space for dreaming and imagination. And I don't think she used these words, but I have been putting them together that what she is talking about is moving out of first-order change and into second-order change. Now, first-order change is something that most of us are probably really familiar with. When we are confronted with a problem or a dilemma, first-order change tells us we just need to push harder, do more of the same thing, do it with more energy and intentionality, put our back into it, whatever it is. We need to ignore new information that's coming our way, avoid thinking of anything else but just pushing harder. That is how most of us are taught to handle situations, first-order change, but more complex situations, ones like we find ourselves in in life, like we have found ourselves in in the COVID-19 pandemic, require second-order change. This ability to let in new information, to stop avoiding things that just because they make us uncomfortable, and then to look for a solution that probably involves transformation of some kind. Second order change is change for transformation, change for survival. It's putting down what we have been taught about pushing and pushing and pushing and denial and instead making room for creativity and imagination. 
So I'll tell you that as we are approaching the second year and a two-year anniversary of the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, I've been turning more and more to the work of Dr. Pauline Boss. She's a local family therapist based out of the U, and she's famous for her work about ambiguous loss. This kind of loss that happens where, where it's, you know, kind of what just happened. Sudden, traumatic, fairly unending. We don't really know what is going to happen next. She has been reflecting that when we came into this COVID-19 pandemic, we quickly discovered that pushing harder, doing things the way we used to do, wasn't going to work. And we had to do something different. We couldn't keep on ignoring danger and avoiding new information. We had to instead do something different. We had to learn how to be together in different ways. We had to learn how to live our lives in different ways. And this was second order change. Now, I'm thinking about this, too, because it's not only the COVID-19 pandemic that is upon us now and, in fact, has been part of our lives always. It's this other pandemic, too, of racism and oppression that has been a part of our country from its founding. Ignoring new information, living in denial. These are things, doing things the way we've always done them. It's deadly. We cannot keep doing that. We cannot keep pushing the way we have always pushed. We have to move into second-order change, transformation, transformation for survival. Now, I know we have learned in these last few years about loss and grief in new ways. So much has been upended, and it has not been easy for any of us. And when I allow myself to turn to that work again of Dr. Boss, she is so clear that living with loss, that living well with loss, requires that we find new meaning and new purpose and new hope. It's not about shutting the door on what happened or the pain that we have experienced. It's instead about finding our way through holding on, knowing that that loss is real, and somehow imagining a new future, figuring out how to hope for something new. Dreams, imagination, creativity, making room for that part of our lives. Now, if we go back again two years ago, but it was April, I believe, of 2020, we were blessed with the work of Arundhati Roy, the writer, historian, essayist, who we really leaned on in this community for her important words. She wrote, and we lifted up, that historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This pandemic is no different, she wrote. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to move through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and our smoky skies behind us. Or we can move through this portal lightly, with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. I hear this and I can't help but wonder what is it we need to leave behind squarely on the other side of this pandemic portal? 
this COVID-19 pandemic, this pandemic of racism and oppression, what do we need to intentionally leave behind? Is it the illusion that we are separate from each other and this earth? Is it a reliance or a misguided idea that money or somehow acquiring things will keep us safe and protected? Is it the idea that some people are human and some are not? What do we need to let go of? What must we leave behind? What do we move through this portal carrying? How can we imagine another world and be ready to fight for it? Now, this can sound like a lot, but I know we are ready for it. I know we are ready to pivot, to continue making the kind of transformational changes that can and will and do save us and help us create this world we long for. I know this because our community has been about it for years. As I said before, 150 years, more than that, we have been proclaiming the power of love and hope in this world. Not greed, not fear, not isolation, but connection transformative love, a love so big that everyone is inside the circle, a love that will not let any one of us go. This is who we have been, and this is who we are. And in the last five years, we have made even more changes as a community. You have heard us say that we are becoming a multiracial, multicultural, intergenerational community of faith, and it is happening. I can feel it happening already. And when I notice that, my heart expands. I feel a part of a bigger togetherness. I feel inspired. We have been working to create real transformational change here in this church and out in our community. I'll tell you, I was astonished to discover that last year alone, our community, this church, gave away over $388,000 to folks who are in need of support to community organizations within this area who are largely led by people of color who are living into this kind of second-order transformational change we talk about. We've been redistributing wealth, literally, to organizations in our community. We've been supporting each other here at church as we get better and better at living into the reality that all of us have ups and downs in life, that sometimes we are going to need to receive, and sometimes we're in a position to give. We are changing. We are realizing that we need each other more and more, and that together we have everything we need. I've been watching us change in our own lives, in our close circles, in this church, in the Twin Cities. You've probably noticed this too. We've let go of the idea that church membership means you have to live here or you even ever have to enter the building. We have been living into this idea and this truth that folks can be a part of our community, part of this bigger togetherness, whether they are joining us from Madagascar or Massachusetts or their couch or wherever they are. We have weathered some significant staff transitions as a, as a church, and together we have built the most multicultural, multiracial, intergenerational staff and board of lay leaders of any Unitarian Universalist congregation around the country. 
We have deepened our commitment to environmental stewardship with the installation of solar panels and energy efficient systems through the building, through our rain gardens and our native plantings that are soon to be taking root on our grounds. We offer fair compensation to everyone who works here. We have a change team of committed congregants that is going to look at our entire institution as a church and help us make those adjustments, big and small, so that we live more in alignment with our deepest values and our commitments to ending oppression in ourselves and in our church. I tell you, the change is happening. Of course there is more work to do. There is always more work to do. And I'll tell you, it is easy for me to feel overwhelmed when I look at what is going on right here in our cities, when I look at the still entrenched systemic racism in the institutions that have power over so many of our lives, when I look at what is happening in Ukraine, when I fear for what will happen if our educators strike, when I worry about what's happening in our neighborhoods. It is easy to get overwhelmed. But then I remember, mostly because I am reminded by you all, that the place to start is always right here. Right here in our own lives, in our own communities, in this church. I go back to the words of Grace Lee Boggs, who said, to transform ourselves is to transform the world. To transform ourselves is to transform the world. Now, author Adrian Marie Brown reminds us that this doesn't mean that we get lost in the self or become self-focused or self-centered, but rather we come to see our own lives and our own work and our own relationships as our front line, our first place where we can practice justice and liberation and alignment with each other and the planet. This is our front line ourselves, our relationships, our work, our communities. This is where we affect change. And I am so grateful for the work of the liberators of our spirits who remind us that what we change on the small scale reverberates on the large scale. That is how we will change the world. Now I think about that and I pair it right up with our beloved Minister Emeritus, John Cummins, who lived by a very simple motto. And that motto was this, I am here, he would say, I am here, I will do what I can. I am here, I will do what I can. So I ask myself, and I ask all of us, as we face the front line that is our own life. What will we do? What is it that we can do to better align ourselves, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our sharing of resources? What can we do right here, right now? You see, our gifts matter. Our gifts of time and talent, of presence and resources, of goodwill and encouragement, our gifts of willingness and honesty, of rest, of daring to hope for something new, our offerings of joy, our expressions of liberation and wholeness, our willingness to bring all of who we are to this community 
to risk being seen and known. All of this matters. All of this creates the container where transformational change can happen, where we can move through and with loss and heartache when it comes into a new hope, a new way. So I am going to warn you in a good way that later on today, or maybe later this week, or maybe later this month, you are going to receive an email or a mail in your actual mailbox with an invitation to give to this church to support our annual operating budget. Sharing of our financial resources is one of the ways we create transformation in the world. Putting our money, our time, our effort into the places who are doing the work we want to do. That is one way we can affect change. We welcome your gifts, your joyful, extravagant, stretching gifts to this congregation and this process of transformation. And we remind each other that money is one of the ways we do this. It is through our care, through our attention, through our own commitment to creativity and change that we really can imagine a new world and fight for it. Let this be our work. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.